Hello to all of our Dietitian Connection podcast listeners. Just wanted to leave you a quick message to let you know that this podcast was recorded earlier in the year before coronavirus impacted all of our lives. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the CEO and founder of Dietitian Connection. It's my honor and pleasure to have May Musk, dietitian and supermodel, join us today. May has just launched her new book, A Woman Makes a Plan, and she's going to talk to us about living in nine cities across three countries. She's lived in South Africa, Canada, and the US. And she'll also talk about her incredible children all doing important life-changing work in their respective areas, that being Elon Musk from Tesla and SpaceX, Tosca's a film producer, and Kimball is a restaurateur, and he's also doing learning gardens in schools, as well as growing food in hydroponic climate-controlled shipping containers in New York. So you are going to love this episode with May Musk, and I look forward to sharing it with you. May, it's such an honor and pleasure to have you join us today. Huge congratulations on the recent launch of your book, A Woman Makes a Plan. I loved reading it over the holidays and I pretty much devoured it straight in two hours. There's so many great messages and I've got so many questions for you that we could talk all day, but we only have a small amount of time. So let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Your family motto you talk about in the book being live dangerously carefully and you talk about going with your parents in the Kalahari Desert in a propeller plane with nothing but a compass and three weeks supply of food and water and your two siblings. Looking back over your life, what do you think has been the most dangerous thing you've done in your life? You know, people think I'm very brave because I've lived in eight cities in three countries and they think to get up and go with three kids is very brave. Now, to me... It's not as brave as my parents who went through the Kalahari Desert with a compass and five little kids, you know, and three weeks supply of water, food and gas because we would go across the desert with a compass. And uh, definitely that was dangerous, And but they were very careful. So now when I mentioned my dad saying about living dangerously carefully, um, my editors thought that was what, how I lived because they think it's very brave to move, to pack up and move and start in a new country. And I have to tell you, it's brave or stupid because I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's really hard to start in a new city, start your practice in a new city when you know no one. And then when you change countries, you have to rewrite the dietetic exam. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did my degree, Bachelor of Science, Tell me if I'm rambling on too too much. No, this is lovely. (laughs) This is great. Okay. The first time I did my Bachelor of Science degree, and it was uh, the only way I could do it was going to an Afrikaans university. They didn't have it at an English university. So I had to learn to speak Afrikaans and study physics, chemistry, you know, the first two years with a medical student. And after that, it was focused more on nutrition. I don't know if it's the same in Australia or elsewhere in the world. 
But doing it in a different language, a new language is uh, really tough. But I got through it, Bachelor of Science. And then in my early 30s, I wanted to do a Master of Science, but again, only in Afrikaans University. And I went there with my kids and the kids slept in the bedroom. They gave me the doctor's quarters. I'd been through a traumatic, I'd gotten divorced. I'd been through a traumatic relationship. I mean, you don't move because, oh, I feel like I move. Right. You're you're sad and miserable. Yes. (laughs) And and you just, what hope is there for me? And you wallow in in your misery for a while, for quite a way too long, and then you move and you do something else. So when I moved to Bloemfontein, I did a Master of Science degree, but that's when I became fluent because no one can speak English at the university, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that does make you become fluent in another language. And I had to give lectures in Afrikaans. And yeah. uh, so I did that Master of Science degree, but I did write it in English because a professor from the University of Witwatersrand, which is an English university, he was professor of nutrition, and he supervised me near the end. So that was good. That was with them. Um, Colostomy patients, there was no research work on nutrition and colostomies. So I did one with 100 colostomy patients just to find out what bothers them, what are their concerns, how are they eating. And uh, and the only reason I can share it with you is because dietitians understand what I'm talking about. Exactly. This must be a little bit of a different interview (laughs) for you than what you've been doing on your book launch tour. (laughs) Yes, I mean, because this is, of course, I don't talk about it much in my book because it gets too scientific and right. then everybody snoozes. Right. So, but I love sharing the academic side because, funny enough, I was more an academic speaker and uh, entrepreneur speaker when I traveled the world and I came to Australia. The University of Victoria invited me to give a talk on entrepreneurship and running your own business to the staff. A medical and health staff at the University of Victoria, and then they had me talk to the public about uh, nutrition. So that was really cool. And then I went to a conference in Adelaide. That was lovely too. But I definitely need to come back. Yes, you do. We need to get you back here. Do you have Australia on your book launch tour? Yes, definitely. We, 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 uh, I don't know if we have a publisher yet, but my, my international team is, of agents are working very hard at that. So uh, we'll just have to let you know when that comes up. We look forward to and, that. And, and we had, yeah, we have about twelve countries already. I mean, in the first, I mean, it's the first month, it's first three weeks. We already had about twelve or fifteen countries interested, and some have already signed contracts with me. I so saw that's, that. That's been amazing. Yeah. So then, as I said, then I went through another a hard time, and then. I moved to, oh yeah, I was in Bloemfontein. Let me tell you how I lived. So my children slept in the bedroom. I slept in the living room kitchen, which is the doctor's quarters. And for 77 rand a month, that's what it cost us to live there and three meals a day for all of us. But they also, in my internship, they paid me 300 rand a month. So I was such a winner yes. <laughs> and it sounds, sounds terrible but I would, did my hospital internship then I didn't need my hospital internship at 21 when I graduated but I just felt like I couldn't handle therapeutic diets clinical diets I was nervous to work to, remember there's no internet I was nervous to work with diabetics people's heart disease arthritis osteoporosis you know I just didn't have enough knowledge I was very happy to do a year 
hospital internship. And then I did a modeling job for the Stoma Therapy Association. I had no idea what that meant. And a nurse said to me, you're going to be working with my colostomy patients. And that's what got me interested. And I said, well, if I'm going to be working with them, I need another degree. So that's when I did my Master of Science degree. And I had a scholarship for it because, of course, I was divorced with three kids. I didn't, I couldn't afford it myself, but I had a scholarship or a bursary. It's called a bursary there. And uh, then I could run my private practice. And then I also ran a modeling school in the evening for the dietetic scholarship fund. So I did everything from home. So that's good. But when you have kids, it's great to work from home. And that's the great part about running your own business. So then Johannesburg, I went there because that's where the big modeling jobs were. They were flying me in from Bloemfontein. And oh, I'd become a plus-size model, <laughs> gained 65 pounds. Yummy, yummy, ate everything inside. And then... Then, of course, by the time I was 40, the cholesterol went up and the back and the knees were hurting. So, you know, I had to practice what I preach and lost the 65 pounds and I've kept it off for 30 years. It's not easy. And as anyone knows, that's why we do well in our practice if we see our clients regularly to get them to, to change the eating habits. So, uh, so I enjoyed my private practice everywhere I went. And just to let you know, the first year, you struggle like crazy. It's peanut butter sandwiches for my kids for dinner. And then the second year, it starts getting better. By the third year, practice has really picked up a lot. And, of course, then I move, which is also not recommended. <laughs> uh, so from, <laughs> from Johannesburg, then my kids wanted to move to Canada. I was born in Canada, so I could go there. And then I researched all the universities and model agents across the major cities of Canada, and I came back to tell my daughter, I went with Elon, and I came to tell my daughter that, you know, all the universities are willing to take me on for a PhD, and uh, all the model agencies were, were willing to take me on. And that was surprising. I mean, I was 42. So I've come back, but Tosca had sold my home car and furniture. She said, this, why, why delay? We can, go, we can go there now. I love that story. Uh, so, I know. I mean, she was 15 years old, but she's five foot ten, and everybody assumed she she had spoken to me about this. But she was she's a pretty determined girl. She just thought, why why should we wait? And I thought, why why should we wait too? So then you move to Toronto. You my funds were blocked in South Africa, and if you have South African friends, you know I don't know. Some managed to get money out. I couldn't get any money out. So then we we got a rent control department. Clean took us three weeks to clean it up. And then uh, moved into that and kept on the carpet, you know, in the beginning until you slowly earn enough. And then I was a researcher, part-time research officer at the University of Toronto because they needed someone to work with dialysis patients, CAPD, continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis patients. And I always said to them afterwards, you know, why did you take me on when my bags had gone missing with my degrees in them, as well as my luggage had gone missing and I was wearing Elon's and Tosca's clothes, you know, because yeah. I, I couldn't buy any. <laughs> Understandable. And they said, well, I, I'd had a private practice and I could work with people, whereas they work more in labs and with the uh, research work. So that was a, a quite a challenge to get uh, CAPD patients, first of all, to do an amino acid versus a, a dextrose dialysis. They were always on dextrose dialysis, and they were hoping that an amino acid dialysis would give them a better nitrogen balance. So the patients, the subjects, had to, at four in the morning, change their bags 
and it was, uh, of course, blind for me and for the patient. So we didn't know what was going on. And then they would come in at 6 a.m. to give the bags to the nurses. And then I would have breakfast for them and let them eat. And then I would weigh all the food beforehand and weigh the food afterwards and then uh, calculate their, their food intake. And then I had to keep them amused until midday when they had to have a bag change again. So how do you keep people who are not very well, how do you keep them amused? Well, I read their horoscopes. And we laughed so much because they were all into know, find romance, travel, do exciting things. So we would discuss that and we were all laughing and that kept them going. That's fabulous. Yeah, I know. And so I also told the um, Department of Nutritional Sciences that. I need someone to help me because I want the plates to be pretty. I want knives and forks and serviettes, and I want the plate to be served well. So I need somebody to help me and then also help me with the weighing and, and I'll do the calculations. And they let me do that. So that's, you know, you just have to ask. Mm-hmm. And then, then they think that was fair. So that was great. And then this was to do a PhD. So then after I'd finished with all the subjects, you remember, you lose subjects, first of all, through peritonitis or they develop diabetes, so then they come out of the study. So it's hard to get a healthy CAPD patient. Mm-hmm. And then when I, we came with the um, results, it wasn't statistically significant difference because of the low subject count. I think I managed to have 25 or 30 in my studies, and the difference in nitrogen was not that uh, enough to be statistically significant. Mm-hmm. So then, then the department decided... Well, it's not quite a PhD, but it's more than a Master of Science, but it's not quite a PhD, so I got another Master of Science degree. And I said, I moved to Toronto, and I got another Master of Science degree. That's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) After all that work. But I did it very quickly. It took me 15 months. But I worked day and night, and, you know, the only time I took off was a Sunday afternoon to do the laundry and, and get the groceries. And I had three teenagers. They were all working, too. So they hardly saw me. But to, to let you know, when you move countries, you have to, first of all, they couldn't compare the grades or the marks in South Africa to Canada. So the thing is, in South Africa, if you pass, that was magnificent. In Canada, you have to get AIDS. I said, nobody got AIDS in South Africa. I don't know how it is in Australia. How is it there? You can pass. and it doesn't. You don't have to have an AIDS. But I know what you mean. I I did the RD exam in the US as well, and I know how hard that was. So I know having you've set up in three countries, so South Africa, Canada, and the US, I know exactly how hard that is. Great. So then I I wrote the exam to register as a dietitian in uh, Canada, and the nice thing was I I could do it in English. You can't believe how easy (laughs) you can do it in your own language. Right. So that was great. I I think I took about six courses to show that I could get an AIDS. And you know what? You can get AIDS in Canada. They were so strict in South Africa, you could never get an AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I got AIDS and I could get into the graduate grad in South Africa and maybe Australia, because Australia is similar to South Africa in education, more the British way. Correct, but, yes. Uh, to get into the PhD, yeah, to get into the PhD you, you have to learn things also when you go to different countries. What... You know, they have different cultures and different challenges. I mean, it's always you're learning 
and you make mistakes all along the way, but I've put some of those in my book too. Yeah, I was surprised about how, you know, even two English-speaking countries, how different the cultures are and how different everything is, yeah. Yes, yes, and, you know, especially in America, you offend people if you're funny or sarcastic or ironic, whereas I think Australia and South Africa and England, you you can be really quite outrageous, but you're not malicious and you're hilarious. Yes. Do you find that? (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's the same in Australia. We love our Aussie humour. You would fit in very well. <laughs> yes, I know. I would be able to crack real jokes yeah. instead of being so nervous about offending anybody. Right, right. Anyway. But you don't practice as a dietitian anymore, but you still call yourself a dietitian. Why are you so proud to call yourself a dietitian, particularly as so many dietitians around the world are actually moving away from calling themselves a dietitian and instead they often use nutritionists. Why, why are you proud to still call yourself a dietitian? Because I just finished 75 one-hour exams to keep my registration <laughs> as a dietitian and I want people to know how hard it is yes. because I had to do the, the internet exams because I'm traveling too much because mm-hmm. I'm now a celebrity dietitian, which is great. And I just feel that we need to let people know how great we are, but we're not. We're scientists and we're shy. So that's the big problem. That's why this webinar is good. You know, there isn't, and I do describe the difference between dietitian and nutritionist in my book. Yeah, well, it's great for people to understand what the difference is. So it's wonderful that you're able to spread that word for us. And Instagram's mm-hmm. obviously a very important platform for you and your profile and your business, particularly being the supermodel that you are. How do you suggest dietitians stand out in the busy social media world? Well, first of all, people are always looking for recipes and good health tips. They need to, first of all, I mean, when I post a photo, there's a lot of work into it. The uh, hair, makeup, look great, wear a nice dress. So we have to be presentable, nice haircut and all that. And we need to do a really good selfie or have somebody take a photo with good lighting. In other words, you need to face the light. If you face the light, you look much better. And you need to be cheery and upbeat. And we need to post good advice to be able to bring up our Instagram account. For Twitter, I do more nutrition research. But, of course, then all the crazies come out and and, uh, don't trust scientists and they trust the polls they've just taken or something, you know, or the keto diet or something. So it drives me crazy there. Yeah, um, we've moved away from Twitter for that reason. No, we still should, you know, if I I think I need 75,000 or 70,000, I don't know, on Twitter – and uh, if three people are insulting you, that's not bad. That's but a pretty good ratio, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to them. I'm used to, I'm used to crazy. Yes, I'm sure so you are. Them. If, they, if they're outright malicious, then I, then I block them. Yeah, that's good to know for the younger dietitians on how to handle those situations. Yes, and when I'm on Instagram and if I post something about food and then I get insulted because I'm not a vegan and cruelty to animals and all that kind of thing, then I just delete those. I don't need nastiness. No, we don't need that in our lives. Yeah. So I must say the modeling has picked up my Instagram. Definitely my talks are booked because I'm an an influencer, as they say. And But in all my talks I give worldwide, and it's more about aging and women's issues. Well, aging is you eat well, you age better, pretty much. And then I go into that detail and stay out of the sun for a good skin. And so there I always bring in the nutrition aspect. But then they, they also want to talk about women empowerment, women being equal to men and things like that in many countries. And so it looks like that's going to be my mission. And no longer it's all about nutrition and health. 
which is interesting. It is interesting how things change because at 71, like you just said, you're more in demand than ever as a speaker and a model and you became a cover girl at 69. So you talk in the book about your career really taking off when you went grey. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on embracing and being confident on who you are, which I think is something important for dietitians to remember as well? You know, as a dietitian, I was always confident about everything I did because I thought we were the top people and we're doing well and we're spreading good news and making people feel good about themselves. So then, so it doesn't matter what color my hair is. They come to me, they came to me and booked me for talks because of my knowledge and that I can share it. Uh, but as a model, you know, I was so tired of coloring my, my roots blonde and they were various shades of blonde. So I wasn't too good at it, especially when I had to pay for it myself. And when you color your hair, your hair's a little frizzier. My hair is healthy now, but it was always a little frizzier and needed professional blow drive. So then I just decided the modeling had slowed down because of my agent and it wasn't because of anything else it seemed. So I let it grow out and there's this white halo on top of my head and then I cut it really short and edgy. And you know, why don't we go short and edgy as dietitians? Why should we look like scientists? We need to look like stylish. You know, it just is more appealing when we look stylish. So the thing is to cut your hair. I always say when when dietitians say, what's the first thing I should do? I just say, cut your hair. Because, but in a stylish shape, not a granny shape. I could, my hair grows out so quickly that I look like a granny if I do it myself. <laughs> so I have to have it cut regularly. And then post cool photos of whatever you're doing. And if you're giving a talk, be sure to post that and to get people to follow you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, letting them know when you're giving a talk, invite them all. Sometimes they are paid talks. That, well, if you're a dietitian, you should be charging for your talks. But sometimes there are tickets they have to buy to come and hear you talk. Sometimes it's free. But you need to get out there and we need to make people aware of us. I know dietitian is an ugly word to people because it sounds like diet. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how we can change that. No, any ideas? I think we need a name change. Yeah. Hmm. Because we have in the United States now registered dietitian nutritionists. But yes. then nobody knows what RDN actually means. No, and exactly. I think they added nutritionist because what's a dietitian, you know? Yeah. I think we, we need to look at our name, but we also need to market ourselves better, which you do fabulously. Another thing, you were the first dietitian to appear on a cereal box and there's actually some I know. <laughs> which I think is fabulous, but there is some controversy in Australia and I think it might be similar in the US where dietitians – don't think we should necessarily work with the food industry. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I work with the food industry, always have. Oh, yes. They actually not always have. I think I only started in my mid-30s, and that's in my book too, when my phone stopped working, and then other dietitians got me working with some food companies. And, you know, they need people to give out a message. You've got to, first of all, agree with what they're doing, you know, and then you do the research work on the health benefits. For example, I had to do a tea company. I could give you the name, it's well known, but I maybe shouldn't. They, but they made it clear to me, you cannot say that tea benefits, I'm talking about 25 years ago, that yeah. tea has health benefits because the, the, the research is still out there. All right? It, it's not definite that when you drink tea and you, you won't have heart attacks. That's nonsense. So you follow the research and you can only say you can have up to three cups a day and it's tasty 
And there's research work to show that it could be preferable to other drinks or whatever. I can't remember what my my message was, but they wanted me as a dietitian to talk. There was the guys from the tea company who would talk about the different teas. And then I would talk about the benefits and what research work was available for green tea, for black tea, for oolong tea, for white teas, you know. So that was in, that was interesting, but they don't expect you to say anything that's not true. Yeah, I find the same. So we do a lot of work with food companies here at Dietitian Connection, and we have an advisory board and present what's evidence based. And I think it's a yes. win-win for for everyone involved. So at the moment, I'm doing some spokesperson work for Boost. Now, Boost, I used to uh, the nutritional beverage, and I used to recommend it for my clients who were too busy or needed a snack or didn't cook or or were concerned about their food intake. And I just thought, well. Boost is a, is a tasty drink, and it's, it's regulated and FDA approved. And the nutrients in the Boost are actually there, you know, because of the regulation. Whereas if you take a supplement, you don't always know what's in that pot. True. So I feel comfortable doing that because I've always recommended Boost. Yeah, and there's a, there's a place for everything. There's a place for everything, yes. Yeah. I know my mom and my older sister had a booth every day because my mom was elderly and my sister had had cancer. Yeah, that's right. So it's really important. Mm -hmm. There's clearly nothing a musk can't do. And you have three incredible children all doing important life-changing work in their respective eras. So obviously Elon with Tesla and SpaceX and Tosca being a wonderful film producer. And I had the pleasure of hearing Kimball speak at – yeah, that passion fix. Uh, yes. I'm so thrilled about that because that's also female empowerment. Yeah, fantastic. And I had the pleasure of hearing Kimball speak a few years ago at Fincy, and he's doing great work following oh. your passion of food and nutrition, with learning gardens in schools and urban farming companies yeah. growing hydroponic food in climate-controlled shipping containers in New York, which I think is amazing. It's no wonder Harper's Bazaar then called you Rocket Mum. What kind of mum would you describe yourself as? You know, I'm still a dietitian who works, works her butt off and, <laughs> and uh, loving what I'm doing. I'd say I have a great family. I'm really fortunate that my children and I love to get together. My grandchildren love to get together. They're all good friends with each other. You know, I have 10 of my own and one from my daughter-in-law. So they all love to spend time together. So that's where I'm very fortunate. And, but we all work hard. But we all love it, too. And Kimball, he's already built over 650 vegetable and fruit gardens in underserved schools. These are schools that are in low-income areas where the children have not seen a vegetable, didn't know even how they grow. But so now they have to grow it themselves and look after it. But they have a team from Big Green to help them because, of course, teachers don't have time or expertise. I mean, I don't have the expertise to grow vegetables. I don't know about you. That's not part of what we studied. No. And so to see these, yeah, to see these children get excited when they pull a carrot out of the ground, I mean, they are thrilled. I mean, who knew children would get excited over vegetables? And then they're taught how to clean them and, how, and then eat them and prepare them. And I just think it's a joy to, to go to uh, these gardens, and I've done that many times. So I'm very happy. And then he does farm-to-table restaurants, you know, supporting the local farmers and having fresh food at his restaurants. 
yeah, it's such important work being able to teach our younger generation all about food and where it comes from. Mm -hmm. So love what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And when graduating as a dietitian, you were often told you have to work in a hospital for five years and you were told you needed to do this even if you wanted to do something else later in life. But you were told this and you went against that advice and you just started your own private practice. What advice would you give to a young dietitian RD just starting out in his or her career? Well, she can do the same if she wants to. She or he. I mean, there are male dietitians in my days who wasn't in, in the 70s or 60s and 70s. There weren't any male dietitians, but now there are. You have more knowledge than the holistic nutritionists that are selling supplements and, re, and yeah, spices and herbs. So you need to have the confidence that you can get out and do it on your own. I didn't have a choice because then I got married at 22 and fell pregnant and had three kids in three years. And the only reason I started my practice was that people would ask me for advice and I would say, come to my home. They would come into my apartment and I would just sit at the dining room table and help them and charge them, of course. And uh, so that's why I started the practice. I mean, I did feel insecure because people said, you, you'd really need that hospital internship. But I didn't take on any clinical patients, any, any with nutritional problems, with uh, diseases, chronic diseases. So, um, so that changed after my hospital internship, and that's in my early 30s. And I think a lot of dietitians are afraid to niche down. Do you have any thoughts on you know, running a business and any recommendations you'd have for someone starting out in business? Just start out and knock on doors because it depends on, on what you want to do. If you want to run a practice, and I think I've said in my book, if you go to 25 doctors, one will send you a patient. You also have your cards on you all the time at any social event. It's not like you're aggressive. I'm not aggressive and say, oh, my name's my mask, here's my card. <laughs> we really just talk about stuff. And then if somebody brings up food, then, I'll, then I would give my opinion. And then they'll say, how do you know? And then I'll say, well, I'm a dietitian. I have my own practice nearby. And then they say, oh, let me, do you have a card? And that's how I would do it. Yeah. But I don't uh, aggressively pursue it because it's uncomfortable. It's hard to be a marketer when you're a scientist. I love in the book how you talk about you just have to get out there and meet people, especially if you've moved to a new city. You were forced to do that. But, you know, that's how you actually get business is just talking to people and networking. Exactly. And it's, and it's hard work to walk into a room of strangers and then slowly start meeting people. Sometimes I would say, okay, I give myself 30 minutes. If nobody talks to me, then I will just uh, go home. And, but within 30 minutes, somebody will talk to me. Even the diet, you remember I, I went to new dietetic meetings where nobody knew who I was. With dietitians, within about 10 minutes, somebody will see me standing alone. I don't want to interfere in groups because that's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but I would, then somebody would call me over to join them, and that's mm -hmm. how I got known. And that's why I did so well because I had ideas about how to promote the profession. That's why. I, kind of reached the top in the entrepreneurial field in three countries. But I was also determined to, to succeed because I had three kids to feed. Anything else you think we should be doing today to promote the profession? Yeah. So what, what, what social media do you have in Australia? The same. So Instagram is probably the most popular okay. at the moment. So take very nice photos. As I say, I only do really photos of food on my Insta stories because they really want me looking like a model. Mm -hmm. But take nice photos, share your recipes, get people interested, and then have your Instagram account on your business card. And uh, then you follow other people in the food industry 
that chefs or something, and you tag them, and you could even do an Insta story with them so that you can you screenshot their photo with their recipe, and you, then you say, go to this, and then you ask that chef, you know, and then people start seeing what you're doing. But if I tell you I'm doing five hours a day on Instagram, that's a minimum. So you, you actually don't have a life when you go on social media, but it saves me sending out letters and saying, hey, can you book me for a talk? Or, hey, can you come and see me as a dietitian? I wish I had had it in the very beginning. Then I would have picked up my business much quicker. Mm-hmm. But now, as I say, um, speaking engagements going so well. I get a lot of media interviews. In the past, I would write to the media and they wouldn't book me because they couldn't care less. And uh, now they, they call me, which is great. Yeah, that's what I say to young dietitians. You know, back in your day and my day, there was no internet. And so the world is at their feet. So many opportunities with the internet and Instagram to be successful. So I think it's fabulous for young dietitians. Yes, and free uh, advertising. Correct. Uh, One other thing I want to tell you, when I moved to the States, I had to write the dietetics exams again, but this time in imperial measurements. (laughs) can you imagine how hard that is yes i did that i had to do that may i know exactly how hard that is (laughs) what a pain (laughs) yes i know exactly how you feel (laughs) yeah so in case anybody's envying me now i deserve what i'm getting (laughs) i think the message here is there's a lot of hard work behind success um it's been fabulous talking to you today. My last question, you're proudly using the hashtag, it's great to be 71. What's next for you in the yes. next decade? I guess it's great to be 72. It's great to be 81, 91. Who knows? I just know that they are wanting me to talk world. And I mean, I've talked worldwide, Budapest, Beirut, Cannes, you know, oh, everywhere in the States and Canada. And I'm trying to think where all I've been to. Just recent, I mean, just in the past year or two, Kiev, where it seems my mission now is to show that older women are relevant, uh, healthy, intelligent, and stylish, because that's what they're looking for, that women are showing more respect. And it looks like that is more my mission, but as I say, I always bring in um, nutrition. So I expect to be very busy for the next 20 years. Well, thank you for flying the dietitian flag around the world, and we hope to see you very soon okay. down here in Australia. So I please hope keep so. in touch. Then we can all connect in person. Which city are you, are you in I'm Melbourne? In, okay. I'm in Brisbane, but we can come down to Sydney or Melbourne yeah. if you're down there. Oh, excellent, excellent. So then I will always let you know on Instagram. That would be great. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and for me too. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review for us. Leaving a review actually means the podcast gets to more dietitians and it can only elevate our profession if we work together. So please hit that review button. Tell us and other people what you thought about this episode. Another way to share your learnings from this episode and keep the conversation going is to take a screenshot of your phone screen, add your message and share it on social media. Don't forget to tag us at Dietitian Connection so we can share it with our following of over 30,000. Tell us what you learned and what future topics you'd like us to cover. If you'd like to access the show notes, they are available at dietitianconnection.com forward slash podcasts. 
Dietitian Connection is a global community of over 13,000 dietitians and we offer free professional development, job opportunities, resources and connections. We're committed to bringing dietitians together so we can create more impact and elevate our profession. And you can easily become a Dietitian Connection member for free by signing up at dietitianconnection.com.